What's up? So I got another message for you. The name of the message today is partying on the eve of destruction or ready and watching the blinding effect of gluttony. Now, before we get into this message, who is this for? Well, it's for everyone, including people that are not Christians. You say you're not a Christian. Fine. So a lot in here that I think you need to hear and be giving some very sober warnings that you're not going to hear anywhere else, including most churches. You're not going to hear something like this. In fact, this type of topic, I don't know if I've ever heard preached very, very low in churches. So it's an appropriate time as well. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now. Tonight is the Super Bowl. But while this is going on, it's very fitting that there are a number of different things going on right now. Um, very unsettling, troubling things. A lot of confusion. People don't know what's going on. And they won't truly know what's going on until later. And even then, they might not find the entire story, the whole truth about that, because a lot is hidden from us. And we may never know. But we need to focus on the most important things. And this message is going to be about how you need to understand what time it is. And you have to understand that you cannot continue living your life anymore the way that you have been. Okay? Everything has already changed, but it's changing now even more. Now, I started warning more strongly um, earlier this year in January. Tried to warn a little bit about what this year is going to be like. It's going exactly how I said it was going to, and it's not going to stop. And um, you need to understand that you're not going to make it. You're just not going to make it. If you don't take this seriously right now, your mentality, and snap out of it. Okay? You need to snap out of it. Because let me tell you some of the dangers that you're going to have. And then I'm going to get into the message right after I say this. Okay? So... First is denial, okay? Um, and you're going to have denial. It's actually trained into everyone. People are taught to have this. Let me show you how it works. For most people, their entire lives, over actually multiple generations, you know what they've been taught? They have been taught that Whatever the media and the government says you should be worried about, you should be worried about. And they feel worried about it. And that happens over and over and over again until it becomes internalized. And they do it on their own. Man, what do they get? Oh, what do they have to say? And it's almost like the event isn't real until they say it and they confirm it. And then on the flip side of that, things that they tell you, the media and the government, that you shouldn't worry about are actually a big deal. And they say, I oh, don't worry about that. It's, it's just that anybody who tries to talk about it is conspiracy theorists type of thing. So it's reversed, right? Oh, okay, we won't worry about that. So then you have no sense of urgency about something or you're not paying attention to it, right? Now, reason I say that is if you continue, especially now, to live your life that way, 
you are going to get wrecked. Wrecked. Absolutely 100% wrecked. I don't know what to tell you. You, what you need to do is completely reverse that. And most of the time, whatever they tell you to worry about is usually a distraction, is deception, it's not as big of a thing, or it's misdirection. And then what they're, telling, when, what they're telling you to not worry about, not pay attention to, or they're not covering it as much as they should be, that's usually the bigger threat. Now, having said that, think of it like this. You have to, and this takes practice, develop in yourself uh, getting a sense of urgency, making yourself have a sense of urgency about something from you independently investigating things and examining the facts, testing them as much as you can, seeing if things make sense and not blindly just trusting, hey, did the officials confirm it or not? Did they say I should be worried about it or not? No, that's not going to work. And, and you might say, what does this have to do with a message? Uh, aren't you going to preach about the Bible? Yeah, I am. Because guess what? It has everything to do with the message. Because let me tell you what's going to happen in the future. There's going to be, there already has been events happening, right? Bible prophecy being fulfilled, but even more, right? It's going to get more and more blatant. Let me ask you a question. Do you think anyone in the media and government officials are ever going to say, hey guys, it looks like Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. We should really pay attention. Look at look at these signs everywhere. You, We should really take this seriously. We should turn to God. We should read the Bible. Are they ever going to say that? No. They're never going to say it. And millions of people will be following their narrative and be strung along at what the officials say. Meanwhile, all kinds of other crazy stuff's going on. But, oh no, don't pay attention to that. that or that doesn't mean anything. These things happening, all, all those things just happening, that doesn't mean anything. Oh, those are just coincidences. So what I'm telling you now, before we get into this message, is that it's up to you. You. That's it. It's up to you to not only look at current events, but look to the Bible yourself. You look at everything going on in the world, and as time goes on, month after month, things are happening, year after year, you compare those things to the Bible, you will have to make the decision yourself. You will have to assess the information and say, wow, this looks like this is uh, fulfilling Bible prophecy. Looks like these are the signs are being fulfilled now. Because no one's going to tell you that. You understand that? No one is going to, except those that are preaching the Word of God, right? But no one else is going to run around telling you, you should have a sense of urgency now. Hey, look up. Be ready. Watch. The signs are here. It's up to you. Okay, so we just want to say that. Just want to say that real quick. 
because as I said, those different uh, things that are trained in you can cause people to have denial. When something really bad happens, they can have denial, oh, it's not really as bad. You know, it's not that bad. I don't have to take action. I don't have to have a sense of urgency. That's dangerous. You gotta let go of that. And one of the other things that may hurt you, one last thing before I get into this, one of the other things that will hurt you is having, uh, being too attached to this world and material things. Where you live, things that you own. Imagine, you know, what's going on right now. I don't wanna say too much, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to avoid the censorship, right? There's something going on Eastern Ohio, right? Check out my Telegram feed if you want to know more. But this is a this is a perfect example of people who bank on everything in their house or even homesteaders, wherever it is. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's good, you know, it's good to be self-sufficient, all those other types of things. But if all your hope is in that, and then boom, something like this happens. Crazy accident or whatever it is. And in order to save your life, you have to leave. You're gonna have to abandon everything, completely let it go. And you know how much harder that's gonna be if you have emotional attachment to all those things? It's gonna be really hard. So you might wanna think about that now before things happen, okay? So let's get into the message because we are talking about people not paying attention. And in fact, what are they distracted by? Bread and circus, right? Now we're not gonna focus a lot on the circus aspect today, which is the entertainment, right? This means food and entertainment. This was a phrase that was used when they were talking about the Roman Empire, that they uh, kept the people complacent with bread and circus. Entertainment. But they kept them full with bread. Now that's what we're going to focus on today the most. Okay? I got a ton of stuff planned for the circus aspect. There's a, Trust me, there's a lot to that. But the bread we'll talk about today. Because you may not know, the Bible has a lot to say about this, and you may not know that the effect that this can have on you, okay? So, let's get into it, start reading some scripture. First is, Luke chapter 17, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. That's one example. Let's look at one more. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Okay, so let's go back here and look at this. First look at Noah. It says... Before Noah entered into the ark and the flood came, okay, in the Bible talks about this flood, this worldwide flood, where water covered the entire earth and everyone died except for Noah and his family, right? That's what happened. People say, how can he fit 
oh, the people and all the animals on the boat. Well, how can he create the world, all of creation? It's ridiculous. Oh, he can create everything, but he can't uh, preserve a family and animals in a boat? Ridiculous. Oh, he, he can create the, in the universe, but he can't preserve a book? Again, absurd. But anyways, point is, right up until the moment, that Noah and his family went into that ark and the flood came and killed everyone. It says they were eating, drinking, marrying, caring about their lives, carrying on about their lives, right? What were they doing? Acting as if there was no danger. They saw no danger on the horizon at all. Were they ignorant? No, they weren't. And how do we know that? Because the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. In addition to that, not only was, a, was he a preacher, the fact that he was building this ark for 120 years was a testimony against him. And they're going, what is he doing this? He's expecting a flood. Right? And Which means he's expecting God's judgment. He's preparing for it. And he's preaching about it. Right? So he's preaching about it and he's backing it up with his actions, but everyone else is rejecting his message. And they're saying, well, <laughs> I don't believe that. So I'm just going to continue on living my life. And they ignore the warning that's right in front of their face. And here's the thing. They ignored it all the way up until the very moment that he went in the ark. And, and the rain started. Right up until the destruction. They were complacent. They were in denial. They rejected the message. They didn't pay attention. Didn't heed the warning. And then the next example was Lot. It says that they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Again, going about their lives as if nothing's wrong. No problem. And even though says Lot was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Day to day it vexed his righteous soul. And I'm sure he must have said something, right? A lot of times in the Bible it says that, you know, the righteous man, the patriarchs sit at the gate and they would speak the truth. But he was a testimony and he didn't participate in their, their wickedness. And, you know, Sodom was actually What's interesting is Sodom was a beautiful place. Before Lot moved there, he saw the land that was well watered. It was like, it says, as the garden of the Lord. Okay? So this beautiful place ends up just getting more and more wicked. All these people just sinking more and more into depravity. And they see Lot doesn't participate in their sin, right? That's a witness against them. Even when you simply just don't participate in someone's sin, that's a witness against them. Why do you think peer pressure is so strong, especially when people are younger, right? It's a real thing. But when people are older, they still do the same thing. People don't like to sin alone. They want friends to do it with them too. But when you don't, they make you feel like you're weird. We'll talk more about that later. So it was a witness against them. And they had no inkling that there was going to be any judgment. 
it says until the day that Lot went out. Right when he went out, fire and brimstone rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. But up until that moment, they were living it up. Partying. Not a care in the world. Sin, sin, sin. All the time. It says they committed abomination. We'll actually learn a little bit more about Sodom later, but what their sins were. We know what the most infamous sin is, which is what it's, uh, you know, sodomy is named after, but there's more than that, too. So the point is, we have that they were complacent, continuing on their lives as if there's nothing wrong until right up until the destruction comes, the judgment of God comes. Now, I want you, now having established that, now what I want to show you is there's something else tied together with that. And let's look. Now it says here, they ate, they drank in both times. Before Noah, they ate, they drank. And before Lot, they ate, they drank. Now, why does it say that? Well, Jesus mentioned something very interesting in Luke chapter 21, verse 25. Let's take a look. He's going to be talking about signs of the end of the world that is getting closer and closer. Okay? And it says... And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. People are going to be perplexed, confused. They don't know what's going on. Stressed out. The sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So fearful, they won't even be able to handle it. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Okay, so at the end of all that, Jesus is going to return, right? And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Jesus did, okay? He said, Behold the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, Ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. Okay? This is very simple. You got to understand this. Okay? In the winter, the trees lose all their leaves. And in spring, what happens? You start to see the little buds. And they open a little bit more, a little bit more. And pretty soon, we have leaves. And they're all the way out. Now it's spring and summer, right? But we look at those trees and when they start to bud, that's a sign that summer's coming next. It's going to come after that. And what does he say? So likewise, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. He said, we're right there getting closer to the return of Jesus Christ. What what signs? Well, he, he mentioned some of them. There's a bunch of them, right? But he said, sign of the moon and the stars and the sun, distress of nations and perplexity, seeing waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear. And then in Matthew 24, right, right we have, uh, there's wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places, famines and pestilences, right? All these are the types of things. 
and they're all it's not just as they occurred different points in history it's that it's more than it ever has been and it increases 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 and it starts to get to the point where you're like whoa okay something different's going on here it's time to pay attention and he says yeah when you start to see those things that's showing you you're you're entering into spring and summer comes next what's summer well that's when jesus returns you're getting closer to the return of Christ. And you're supposed to be paying attention to those signs. He says, when you see these things come to pass, you're supposed to be looking, by the way. You're supposed to be watching. Know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. A promise of the preservation of the word of God, by the way. And take heed to yourselves, listen to this, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Okay, now this is what we're going to focus on. It said, he said, take heed to yourself. Listen. You need to listen to this warning. Listen anytime your hearts be overcharged with surfing. Overcharged means to be uh, like made heavy. Overloading the body and the senses. With what? Surfing. We're going to learn what that is in a, in a second. And it says, what, and the danger is, if, you over, if your heart is overcharged with surfing, it's going to make it so that day will come upon you unaware. You won't know that it's the end. Right? Just like all those people in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, you'll be just like them, thinking that everything's okay or normal. Right? Maybe you think, people think, oh man, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on, but they don't expect their own destruction. And they don't expect that it's the end. They're not really paying attention to these signs right up until destruction, right? Okay, so let's talk about what, and then it says, uh, for as a snare shall it come on all of them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. As a snare. Walking through the woods, there's a snare hidden under some leaves. You step in it. It wraps around your foot. Now you can't get out. That's what happens when you're overcharged with the surfeiting. Now, what's surfeiting? Let's go to the dictionary. 1828 Webster's Dictionary says, Oppressing the system by excessive eating and drinking. Cloying. Loading or filling to disgust. Noun. The act of feeding to excess. Gluttony. Gluttony. Overeating, excessive eating and drinking, eating till you're sick. Now, um, this is something not really talked about a lot. Very rarely is it talked about. And especially in the Fundy movement, there's uh, a lot of overweight preachers. Now I'm gonna get I'm gonna be charitable, okay? I'm gonna be charitable. I know some people have some problems. 
health issues. I don't know. But a lot of times that's not the issue. Because they actually make jokes about fried chicken and stuff from the pulpit. And, you know, that's fine once in a while. But when you see people grossly overweight, right, especially in the ministry, there's an issue. And it is a fact. It's a fact. Okay, I've looked at a lot of health information. A lot. And there's a number of different issues with nutrition, these types of things. But And people could argue about calories, right? We're not going to get into a big debate about that. But it's a fact that if you eat more than you burn off, you're going to gain weight. Okay? There is the Bible warrants against eating too much. Okay? And it's not just that. It's not just for health. This is what we're talking about here. We're not going to focus on health, even though it is, you know, you should try to be healthy. We're not focusing on health here. The Bible is warning you that there's other dangers to overeating and to excess and all these other types of things. And it says that your heart can be overcharged by surfeiting, by gluttony, by overeating. Why would Jesus warn about this when he's talking about looking for signs for his return in the end of the world? You think he just mentioned this for no reason? It's just something we can throw away? We don't have to pay attention to it? No, there's a lot of reasons he mentioned it. But anyway, surfeiting is excessive eating. Gluttony. What is gluttony? Excess in eating. Extravagant indulgence of the appetite for food. It's what it is. Now, um, another thing that before I, I'm going to read some verses here about this. You know, there's another way that people can deceive themselves in what you call first world countries where they have a lot of food. Access, I should say, to it. Did you know that we actually don't need GMOs to feed the world? We actually already have the capability to feed the entire world more than one time. But the problem is a lot of it's wasted. People, they're... I did a lot of research on this. Um, they, there's actually a lot of instances where farms will grow produce, go to the grocery store, and entire shipments can be rejected because they don't like the way that it looks. Okay? So they don't care, they don't care about the nutritional factor, all, all these other types of things. It's about the appearance of it. And if they can't sell it, they'll throw it away. Yeah, it's just thrown away. And sometimes thrown in fields fields and it rots give it to animals whatever it is a lot of times it's just thrown away it's wasted and then other times in in third world countries uh they send aid and money and food sometimes and it actually doesn't make it to the poor people because of the corruption in the government okay so it's not the issue of we, we can't feed we don't have the capacity to feed everyone we do there's just other factors uh, so anyways in first world countries, in the West, we have a lot of food. A lot of food, a lot of access uh, access to food. A lot of food that we don't need, a lot of dessert and um, extras, right? Not things we need to survive. And since we're so used to that, by the way, this is, this is, that's never been that way in history. Never had easier access to food instantly, ever in history like this. Um, 
since we've grown up accustomed to that, everywhere we go, uh, think it's no big deal, right? It's no big deal. We instantly just have all this food everywhere. A lot of times, the faster you can get it, the worse it is for you, right? But it doesn't matter, there's food everywhere. So it's easy to overeat. Um, what a lot of you may not know is that in other countries, poor countries, people don't eat as much as you. Some things have changed with modernization, right? The Industrial Revolution has changed a lot, but they don't eat as much. It's not normal to eat as much as Americans do. In fact, Americans, I will say specifically, are the most overweight people in the world. Now, that didn't just happen by accident. Okay? And it's not a good thing. And so we need to consider this. Because the Bible says that I'm not going to avoid it. Okay? So, having when you think that's normal, but you don't understand, you don't compare your country and your life to other countries that don't have it as good as you do, or to history as a whole, then your perception is distorted. What you think is normal is not normal. No matter how much you try to justify, it's not normal. Okay? Now, the Bible gives you plenty of instruction on this. And in fact, you know, we'll talk about this maybe more later, but fasting, for instance. You know, when Jesus is talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the things that he's preaching, he doesn't, he doesn't tell anyone to fast. He assumes people already fast. He just says, when you fast, here's how to do it the right way, not like the hypocrites. When you fast, don't make yourself look sad and, and, and all this stuff, trying to draw attention to yourself. He says, anoint your head with oil, make yourself look, you know, good and go about your life. And don't, you don't need to tell anybody and sound a trumpet and say, hey, everybody, I'm fasting. I'm so holy. Just do it. It's between you and God. But it was assumed that it was done, right? Sometimes you could skip a meal, right? Maybe not eat during the day, only eat at night. Maybe skip one meal. Sometimes there's a fast where they skip, they don't eat meat for a while. Right? Different types of fast. Sometimes it's nothing but water for a day, maybe a few days. Uh, probably the most extreme fast in the Bible, besides Jesus not eating for 40 days. Uh, besides that one was when um, Esther, she had no food and no drink for three days, which is very dangerous and should never be attempted unless some type of extreme emergency but she did it to save the Jews from being killed. Um, because basically by the time you hit three days of no water, you'll die. And even when you hit two, you're already starting to, to not function well. Right? You have a lot of problems. So make sure you're drinking plenty of liquids. Water, these types of things. Okay? So I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole of fasting. But I just wanted to say all this stuff before we keep going. To say that that was a common thing. And it's to keep your appetite in check. And also, another thing I'm going to say real quick too, just to get this in here, is that the times we're moving into, things can be disrupted, supply chain, all these other types of things, money issues can happen, all types of things like that. You're going to have to learn how to live with less. 
That's just a fact. And sometimes, whether it be based or whether you abound, maybe sometimes, great. Maybe sometimes not. Mountains and valleys, right? So you might want to learn how to skip a few meals. Okay? So, just wanted to say all that before we get into this. All right, so, surfeiting and gluttony. Now, this is worn. Now, like I said, this isn't just said to give you health advice, right? Jesus said, lest your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and that day come upon you unaware. So this is affecting your perception. This is actually affecting you spiritually and your sobriety and your ability to watch and be ready for the return of Christ. So that's, that's more important than just being physically healthy, right? So let's continue on. Let's read some more scripture. Proverbs 23, verse 17. Read some more about gluttony. Proverbs 23, 17. Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Okay? Do not envy sinners, lost people. Don't look to them for your example. Okay? So we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures about this surfeiting, about gluttony, because if that's the warning here, we want to know more about it, right? So don't look to sinners. For surely there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Wow. So this is a clear warning. Now, a lot of times we hear warnings about drunkards, right? I'm going to talk more about this, by the way. We're not going to focus on drunkenness with alcohol, per se. I want you to see something. That's warned about, right? People know that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither drunk nor drunkards. Right? Drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. We know that, right? Someone keep, keeps getting drunk. Well... And it says drunkenness is a sin, Galatians chapter 5, where it's a work of the flesh, right? Well, it says the drunkard and the glutton. The glutton is put right in the same category as the drunkard. And so there is an overindulgence, excessive. Now I do I don't want to we're not going to debate about alcohol. I do want to mention real quick though. I do have a really long teaching on it, but it's important because it covers a lot of different points, pretty much every objection you could think of about alcohol. And um it's I think it's called Should Christians Drink Alcohol? Did Jesus Make Alcoholic Wine? Please go watch that. It's over 3 hours. I cover it from every different angle you could you could think of. But this says Riotous eaters of flesh and the glutton. And it says they shall come to poverty. That's one warning against them. And what does it also say? And drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. Drowsiness. So what does that sound like? Well, what we talked about earlier. He says, lest your heart be overcharged with the surfeit. This is very similar to the drowsiness, a state of sleepiness. It's a dulling of the senses. Instead of being sober and watching, you're drowsy. You're not really aware of what's going on. So that day comes upon you unaware, right? All right, so let's continue. 
And it says, don't be among those people as well. Be not among wine bibbers and riotous eaters of flesh, the, the gluttons. Here's another one. Proverbs 30, verse 21. For three things is dis for three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear. For a servant when he reigneth, and a fool when he is filled with meat. Okay, so the Bible says a fool when he is filled with meat is one of the reasons that the earth is disquieted. They're loud. Ready to party, right? A fool that is filled with meat. They get a full belly. They get all the food they could want. Mowing down on their food. They're at the Super Bowl party. Chowing down on as many wings as they can. They're filled with their meat. Let's add some more description to this. More detail. For more detailed description of the fool filled with meat. Let's turn to Psalm 73 verse 5. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men talking about the wicked right therefore pride compass compasseth them about as a chain they wear pride as a chain violence covered them as a garment their eyes stand out with fatness they have more than heart could wish more than a heart's desire have all they need more actually they are corrupt speak and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Now, why are we reading that? Well, it says someone that has more than their heart could, could wish, their eyes stand out with fatness. This is like the fool that's filled with meat. And it says the earth is disquieted. Well, what is it talking about here? It says the same person speaks wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They're proud and arrogant. They're a loud mouth. They're not sober. They're just running their mouth. It's actually connected to someone who has more than their heart could wish and they're filled with meat. With them running their mouth. Okay? And it says loftily with pride. They're proud. And they're not giving when their their belly is full they're proud because they don't give glory to God they're not thankful to God they always take credit for themselves they're proud they have no problem talking against God against the Bible against all these against all these things right what man I have nothing to worry about everything I need oh what about this this thing look at all this stuff going on ah that's nothing you're crazy you're stupid why are you worried about that stuff? Come on, let's party. Let's eat some more. Here's another verse. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 17. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Wow. This is a very interesting verse. Because it says that there is a difference. You know, the kings and the princes, that the, uh, the land is blessed when the king or the prince is eating for strength, for the proper uh, purpose of food. He's eating it for the right reasons, for strength, for nourishment. It's a need, right? 
eats for strength and not for drunkenness. So the Bible's saying that someone can eat for drunkenness. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so why is that significant? Well, um, when you're drunk, you're not paying attention, right? Your senses are dulled. You're not as sharp as you normally are. That's why you're not supposed to drive when you're drunk. So maybe when you're drunk, the Bible says, it warns against it, right? It says drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because why? Because, well, it always leads to other sin. That's one thing. But it perverts your judgment. You don't have discernment. So this can affect you spiritually. You're not as sharp as you are. So it says there can be eating for drunkenness. Hey, you're not as sharp as you normally are. So that means you can be unaware of things going on. You're not really paying attention the way that you should be. Why? Because your belly's always full. You got, and you're eating to drunkenness, even over and above that. Now, let me just say real quick. I'm not saying it's bad to have some things that are uh, eating for pleasure sometimes. To have dessert or special meals and stuff like that. What we're talking about is overdoing it. Consistent pattern. And that it's not under control. Right? And especially when there's all kinds of stuff going on like is going on now. You need to be paying attention. But the Bible says that someone can eat for drunkenness. This warning against eating for drunkenness is very similar to how it is said Israel lusted after meat. Yeah. That's what happened. It said Israel lusted after meat. What happened when Israel lusted after meat instead of being thankful to God? Well, this verse in Psalm 78, verse 18 says this, And they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. Not asking for meat just to eat and be nourished for strength, right? So they'd be strengthened and then do what they need to do, continue their journey, fight the battles they need to fight. No. Asked, they asked for meat for their lust just because they were craving it. Right? Very similar to this eating for drunkenness. Now let's read... Uh, a more detailed description of what happened with this because God shows what happened and what happened when they did that how did God respond when they started complaining about that how did God respond uh, in Numbers chapter 11 we'll read starting in verse 4 and I'm going to skip through some verses but it's going to be in Numbers chapter 11 and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. There it is. And the children of Israel also wept again. They were crying. And said, who shall give us flesh to eat? They're crying and complaining because they're lusting after meat. That's what they want. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. 
and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, Moses also was displeased. Okay, so they're complaining and crying. We want the food that we used to have. They lusted after the meat. So what happened? Verse 18, and, they, and say thou unto the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? That's what they said. Who's going to give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. They were saying, oh, it was better for us back when we were slaves in Egypt, in bondage. It was better, even though we were slaves, right? And that was our entire life, just slaving away in there. But since we had that food, man, we're going to complain and cry about it. And that's what we want back. Even though God delivered them out with all these miracles, right? Ye shall not eat in one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days. Won't even be able to eat all the meat. But even a whole month until it come out at your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Imagine. It's like spitting in the face of God. Why did we come out of Egypt after God did all that to get them out? All the ten plagues and parting the Red Sea and all these miracles. He gave them a manna that appeared on the ground supernaturally to feed them in the, in, in the wilderness. Even after all that, still complaining and said, Oh, why did we even come out of Egypt in the first place? All we want is the meat. He said, I'll give you meat. Verse 31, And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side round about the camp and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. About three feet high piled up with quail. And the people stood up all that day and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered quails. It took them a long time to, to gather up the quails. He that gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them all abroad for themselves around the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere, ye, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of that place Kibroth Hatavah, because... There they buried the people that lusted. Okay? So they didn't, again, they didn't want this meat. Because, oh man, if we had this meat, we could do what we need to do and be strengthened. No, it says they lusted after that. We just want it because we miss all that food that we used to have. And we're sick of eating the, the food, the manna that God's been providing for us. Even though it is a miracle that God provides it. And if we didn't have the manna, we would die out here. There'd be nothing. But God is supernaturally providing for us in this wilderness, and it's not enough. Right. So, what I'm showing you here is that, like it says, you can eat for drunkenness. It says that you can desire food for the wrong reasons. 
And that if you have a pattern of you just want to eat food because you're lusting after it, right? Craving this and I craving this and it's all for pleasure, there's a problem with that. Okay? Food is supposed to be something that nourishes our body. Like it says, strengthens us so we can do what we need to do and function in life. When you overdo it and eating food for pleasure, especially the dessert and all the other extra things, then it's going to affect you. Not, now, health effects may just be a warning sign, right? But what we're talking about here are the spiritual effects, the mental effects. That if you're doing that consistently, it's going to dull your senses, you're gonna be unaware, you're not gonna be paying attention, you're not gonna be ready and watching. And that's a problem, especially right now. Here's another one. Give a few more warnings and then we're gonna do a contrast. Isaiah chapter 22 verse 12 and in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girding with sackcloth and behold joy and gladness slaying oxen and killing sheep eating flesh and drinking wine let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die so let's talk about this first of all it says in that day the Lord called to weeping and mourning and sackcloth and all this stuff, right? Why was he saying that? Because of their sin, right? The proper response if they sin is to repent, to weep and to mourn and to repent of that sin. Not indulge in excess and party. So instead of repenting, they were partying, celebrating, eating all kinds of meat, right? It says oxen and sheep, eating flesh, drinking wine doing the opposite of what they should have been doing. And, and then it says, they had this mentality, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. Now I'm gonna read another a verse that talks about this and we'll talk about that. The same phrase used by Paul, is used by Paul to describe the mentality of those who would deny the resurrection of the body and eternal life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Same thing, right? Same phrase. But what is he saying? If there's no resurrection, might as well live it up, right? Eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. We're going to die and then nothing's going to happen. There's no resurrection. There's no uh, eternity. This is all there is. So if you believe that, that's what you're going to do, right? If you believe that there's no resurrection, there's no afterlife, there's no day of judgment, you're going to say, eat, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. But the behavior that they were exhibiting before in Isaiah 22, when they're eating flesh, killing sheep, that mentality was, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die, not caring about what God was asking them to do what was pleasing to God because God was saying man you have done bad you have sinned you need to repent of all this not be parting and indulging yourself and eating to excess they say we don't care we don't care what happens tomorrow we don't care about pleasing what's pleasing to God we don't care about the things of eternity 
So let's live it up. And that and this goes along that mentality of let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. It goes along with the, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. They were living that life, eating and drinking and doing all their things that they normally do, all the way until the judgment came. The flood came and the fire and brimstone and whatever it is. And now, in the end times, same thing. People have the mentality, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we shall die. I don't care what happens after I die. So I'm, I'm going to eat and drink and uh, live it up. I'm going to party. But that's not the way that we should be. Uh, here's another verse of the passage in Amos. Amos chapter 6 verse 1. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Woe to them that are at ease. Taking it easy. Not a care in the world. Not paying attention. Verse 3, ye that put far away the evil day. That's a great phrase here. Let's focus on that. Ye that put far away the evil day. And the evil day means the day of judgment, right? It doesn't matter if it was, you know, in that context, talking about the mentality they had about God's judgment that was happening in the Old Testament. It's the same mentality today. You put far away the evil day, meaning you think, oh, that's something that's going to happen a long time from now. Or it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen in my lifetime. Whatever it is. You put it far out of your mind. That's not going to happen anytime soon. Therefore, I'm at, a, I'm at ease in Zion. I'm eating and I'm drinking. I'm partying and I'm living it up. Because I put the evil day, the, the day of judgment, far away out of my mind. It's not going to happen to me. Ye that put far away the evil day and caused the seed of violence to come near that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall that chant to the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. Okay, all this instruments, right? This music. What does it sound like? That sounds like more of the entertainment. That's the circus, right? So we got the bread and the circus. And the comfort too, beds of ivory, right? But it says eat the lambs out of the flock. So you got both. The food and the entertainment. That drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Not grieved, but they do all this stuff. They celebrate, they indulge to excess, but not concerned about their sin, not concerned about the affliction. Therefore, now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. God's going to end the party. The party's going to end one day. You didn't think it'd go on forever, did you? You thought, let the good times roll, it's never going to end, right? You thought the American Empire would continue forever. And we just have endless access to everything we could ever want. Wrong. As with many empires in history, there's a rise, there's a fall. There's moral degradation. And even on the eve of destruction, people partying it up, pretending like everything's fine. Or they think, man, there's problems, but you know what? It'll all work out. They'll Somebody will figure something out, right? What if they don't? 
What if we have spit in the face of God and turned our back on him? And he has no obligation to save us and to preserve us. Why would he? Here's another passage. Philippians chapter 3 verse 18. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are the enemies of the cross? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. And whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Wow. There's some people whose God is their belly? Oh yeah, absolutely. Everything revolves around that, chasing uh, their appetite. They're controlled by their belly. That's how, you'd say, how could you make a God out of your belly? Because that controls all the decisions in their life. They don't have thing, their body in subjection, right? And Paul said that, right? He said, I keep my body under and bring it into subjection. That's why we have Fasting kind of helps you reset things, keep things in check so things don't get out of control. You're indulging in the flesh and now you're not even, there's no discipline, nothing. But if you're just following your, your, your lusts and that controls your life, well, your God is your belly. Whatever your belly tells you to do, you do it. That's your God. Right? Remember when, G, remember when Jesus said this? Ready? Check this out. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know what your belly says? If you love me, do what I tell you to do. Same thing. That's your God. You do whatever your belly says. Now, you know what's interesting about this is this actually overlaps with uh, teaching I did about the tricksters. If you study about that figure, it says that their God is their belly. And they're driven by appetite. And what they do is it makes them uh, creative. Come up with creative ways to fulfill their appetites, indulge in them. And so that's why they create traps. They create nets and all these other types of things. But what's interesting about that is that the Bible warns us not to be overcharged with surfeiting and overeating and these types of things because it can... Uh, make it so the day comes upon you unaware, dull your senses, make you unaware, sort of in a stupor, in a state of uh, complacency where you're not paying attention. And so, uh, a little bit of hunger can help. And it could sort of, uh, if you're in a state of stupor, it'd be easier to pull one over on you, trick you, right? But you have a little bit of hunger, it kind of strips away the illusion. And why, why is that important? Because that ties together with the bread and circuses. Okay. So, a lot of people understand the circus, right? The entertainment, keep them distracted. But uh, the bread is really important too. Because when people don't have the bread, they start to get discontent, right? But it also helps to think straight. So when there's so much bread, it doesn't matter that it's junk food, right? The bread with the circus, it's easy for the trickster to pull one over on you, pull the wool over your eyes, trick you, set the traps, and you fall into every one. And you can't see through it until you get the discipline, get a little bit of hunger, bring that body into subjection. 
but that's not going to happen without the Spirit of God, without Jesus Christ. Jesus said, for without me, ye can do nothing. That's right. Okay? So, you don't want to be the person whose God is your belly. Chasing that belly around. Whatever your belly to, tells you to do, you do it. No. That's not how a Christian should be. So anyone should be, but... It says that enemies of the cross of Christ have their God as their belly. Their belly is their God, right? So, one other thing before we move on is it says that they who mind earthly things. That's another huge point. Because if your mind is always set on earthly things, you're not going to be paying attention to the heavenly things. But Jesus said, you need to be looking up, looking at the signs, thinking about the things of eternity. But if you're just minding earthly things and things of this world all the time, you're not going to be paying attention. But it says the people that have their belly as their God are the same people who mind earthly things. See how that's tied together? Okay. Here's another one. Jude 12 says, These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Let me talk about that real quick. Feeding themselves without fear. When you eat, you should always pray before it. Jesus did. Bless the, the bread. Give thanks unto God for what you have every single time. You should. But there are people who eat and they have no fear of God. And they don't thank God. And it's just, here's the food, let's eat. And they're just stuffing their face. Feeding themselves without fear. No fear of God, no thankfulness to God, no appreciation of what He's given. That's a person who's driven by appetite, whose who's God is their belly. They will feed themselves without fear. And uh, two more, and then we'll, we'll end the teaching with the contrast of what the, the flip side is, with the positive examples, okay? Okay. Now, we talked a little about, about, about Sodom earlier. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about the sin of Sodom. Because it talks about it in uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 and 50. Now, like I said before, the Bible's very clear. They committed vile, disgusting sins. You read about that, Romans chapter 1, those types of things. But there was more to the story as well. And it says right here, Ezekiel 16, 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Okay? This was the sin of Sodom. And it gives a list of sins. Listen to the list. This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. That's the first one. Second one, fullness of bread. Fullness of bread. An abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and did what? Committed abomination before me. Some people say, well, where did they do the, the nasty thing? Well, here, committed abomination because that's an abomination. Committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Okay, God judged them. Now, it says this was the iniquity of, the, of Sodom, pride, fullness of bread. See how much this is talked about in the Bible? You know, 
in the same list of sins of pride, being haughty, committing abomination, it says fullness of bread. And you can bet they fed themselves without fear. Their God was their belly. They were, all they did was chase their appetite. They, they lusted after their meat, had more than their heart could, de could desire. Remember what I talked about, about how abundant and beautiful that place was in Sodom? As the garden of the Lord, they, everything grew there. It was well watered. Everything they could want there. Instant gratification. Their belly was always full. Almost seems like there's a connection between that and all the other sins. Like pride. And then eventually the other sins. The idleness. And it leads to other sins. And depravity. And it gets worse and worse and worse. Until God needs to say that's it. You're done. So. That should really sober you up. When you see that listed with the sins of Sodom. Because again, let me say, Paul the Apostle said, I know how to suffer hunger and to be full. Okay? So sometimes he said, I'm full, but not all the time. Sometimes hungry, sometimes full. It's never just a straight line. Okay? The Christian life is supposed to be mountains and valleys. Okay? High points and low points. It's never just flat. And you learn the lessons when you're hungry in the valley, when you're abased. Draw an eye to God. Learn the lessons. Crucify the flesh. Humility. Then when you go up the mountain, your belly's full, everything's going good, you have abundance, you better be praising God, you better be thankful. And that time in the valley, better have helped you to appreciate when you're on the mountain. And you know that it's not going to last forever. The problem is when there's no mountains and valleys. It's just fullness of bread, fullness of bread, fullness of bread, fullness of bread. And you never suffer hunger, never go through the tri trials and tribulations. That's a problem. Okay, one last passage about that. Kind of summarizes this, right? Solomon said in Proverbs 30, verse 7, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove me, remove, uh, sorry, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Now it's very interesting what he says here. Because we can obviously see, right? He says, I don't want to be poor and steal, take the name of God in vain. We can see that clearly that would be a sin, right? There's a danger there. And he says, don't give me poverty or riches. So there's nothing, you know, virtuous about poverty. He says, give me food such as convenient for me. Basically, cover my basic necessities. I don't need abundance way beyond that. Riches. Feed me the food that I need. But listen to what he says. Lest I be full and deny thee. And say, who is the Lord? 
Wow. So there's a danger of having a full belly and denying God. Who Saying, who's the Lord? Who's God? Who needs God? I have everything I need. My belly's full. What do I need God for? Now imagine a nation where their belly's always full. They have everything they need of excess, above and beyond. What do they need God for? Who's the Lord? They'll deny him. And so, you know, when you put all these verses together, it paints a very um, sobering picture about uh, appetite and the relationship to food, the proper place of it. Okay? Like I said, this isn't to go in extremes in either direction. I'm going to talk about that actually in a second. The Bible doesn't say never eat anything good, never celebrate, never have a feast even. It says even Jesus said sometimes you should make a feast. When you have a feast, invite people that can't pay you back and these types of things, right? People in need. So there's nothing wrong with having a feast, but you shouldn't be having it every day. Right? Doing things to excess. That's what we're talking about here. Okay, so let's continue so we can wrap this up in contrast. Let's look at the contrast. So we looked at the dangers of surfeiting, of gluttony, and how it can affect you in many different ways, spiritually and mentally. Oh, there's a lot of dangers there. Right? And so that's very important when it comes to the time of the end. Okay, so let's look at the other side of that. The other side of gluttony is temperance. Temperance. Let's look at that. The definition. Temperance. Moderation. Particularly habitual moderation in regard to the indulgence of the natural appetites and passions. Restrained or moderate indulgence as temperance in eating and drinking. Temperance in the indulgence of joy or mirth. Temperance in eating and drinking as opposed to gluttony and drunkenness and in the other indulgences to excess. And then second is patience, calmness, sedateness, moderation of passion. Now, also, you can be temperate with your emotions. Uh, I have actually have a message about that. It's called the biblical view of emotions. And basically in there, I talk about the moderation of emotions, that you shouldn't be overly emotional, but you also, also shouldn't be a robot with no emotions. There's a, there's a moderation there. Avoiding extremes, right? But here, it says temperance, with temperance there's a restraint in eating and drinking, and it is opposed to gluttony and drunkenness. Temperance is opposed to it. Now, why is that important? Well, the Bible tells us that temperance is a fruit of the Spirit. Of If you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside you, the temple of God, and there is evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside you. It's called fruit of the Spirit. Let's read about it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Temperance is a fruit of the Spirit. So, with temperance, if someone 
can't control their appetite. And if they don't, they make no effort to, that's a problem. That's not being led by the Spirit. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. But if they do, that is a fruit of the Spirit. Let's read about it again in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. And to temperance patience. Okay, so this is in the process of sanctification. You're growing. You start with faith, right? You add virtue, knowledge, and temperance. Patience, uh, add to temperance patience, to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So if you have temp all these things, including temperance, it makes it so you will be fruitful. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Think about this, okay? Because it says, he that lacketh he that lacketh these things is blind. So if you lack temperance, it says you're blind. And so uh, this is why I put in the title, The Blinding Effect of Gluttony. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. There's a blinding effect of gluttony. And if you're blinded by that, you're not going to be able to see what's going on. You might pretend to. You might pretend to have discernment and think you know what you're talking about, but you don't. Because you're lacking temperance. Here's another one. Acts chapter 24, verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of what? Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Okay, so Paul the Apostle gets an opportunity to privately witness to Felix. What is he talking about? Righteousness, judgment to come, and temperance. Because... You better believe those leaders back then were indulging in everything that they could. There's a lot of gluttony. And so that was part of the message. Okay. So we see temperance mentioned multiple times as a fruit of the Spirit, part of something that should be a, a fruit in the Christian life, part of sanctification. You should grow in temperance. Okay. You know, when you're first born again, you're not, everything is perfectly mature fruit, right? I understand that. But there should be growth over time, and you should be growing in sanctification in all the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, but also in temperance. You should, over time, as you grow in, in the Lord, your temperance should grow. It shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be tossed around by extremes. You can't, you don't have any control over your appetite or even like it says, emotions, these types of things. That's not having control. That's not temperance. 
but we're focusing on the food here, okay? Here's another one, moderation, right? Because it said in the definition of temperance, first word it says was moderation. And it says uh, restrained or moderate indulgence in eating and drinking, okay? So moderation is tied together with that because that's another word that's mentioned in the Bible. I'll show you the verse in a second. Let's define moderation. Now this is, this is interesting. Moderation is defined as the state of being moderate or of keeping a due mean between extremes or excess of violence, okay? A due mean between extremes. See this a lot today. This is how people actually get into a lot of false doctrine. They always, a lot of times in a lot of issues, there's always two extremes. And people go from one to the other. Or sometimes they bounce between the extremes. They don't have moderation. But let's look at it more. Restraint of violent passions or indulgence of appetite. Okay, so again, it's moderation in regards to emotions and indulgence of appetite in regards to eating food. Eat and drink with moderation. Indulge with moderation and pleasures and exercise. That's another one. There's nothing wrong with exercise. In fact, you should. You're going to hurt yourself if you don't. At least, you know, go for a walk. If you don't move, make sure you're walking every day at least. But especially for men, it's good to do exercise. Nothing wrong with lifting weights, doing body weight exercise, all this stuff. That's good for you. Problem is when it, it gets to extremes and you think you have to be a bodybuilder and you're constantly flexing in the mirror and on Instagram posting pictures of yourself and trying to show off your physique and all this stuff. That's vanity. But it's good to good to be uh, good to do exercise. Calmness of mind, equanimity, as to bear prosperity or adversity with moderation. Okay? Prosperity or adversity. Whether I be abased or whether I abound. Moderation. Uh, so, okay, so there's restraint there, right? You're not flying off the handle with emotions, but also there's restraint with food. You don't have to have everything you see when you go shopping. Here's an example if you have moderation. Can you make a list before you go to the store and just get what's on the list and not get anything else? Do you have that restraint? Do you have that temperance? if you can't there might be a problem you should be able to plan out everything you're going to get at the store just get what's on the list and that's it now i'm not saying you need to do that every time again i'm not being extreme but i'm saying you should be able to do that if you can't control yourself that's a problem you, you see something oh look at that you start drooling have to have it you have to buy it well now you're being controlled by your belly you're not controlling your own body by the pot by the grace of god you know and that's something you should be praying about right uh we have the, if temperance is a fruit of the spirit you should pray about it god please help me to have more temperance more moderation right we're talking about moderation here what does the bible say philippians chapter 4 verse 5 let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He's coming soon. But I want you to notice something. We talked about what moderation is. But it says, let your moderation be known to all men. So guess what? Your moderation is part of your testimony. 
And that's why I was kind of talking about pastors earlier. Uh, I have a hard time with pastors that are uh, obese. I've seen some morbidly obese pastors. And I think it's, you know, people get up, might get upset about this. I think it's shameful. And you know what? Preachers used to talk about this openly, by the way. I'm not the first one. You go back, listen to some old preachers. Uh, even some I used to listen to, Leonard Ravenhill and Rolf Barnard, a bunch of other ones. I'm not endorsing everything these guys say, but I'm just using some examples. They said the exact same thing I'm saying right now. And I remember one of them said, I, I wouldn't even trust an overweight pastor. That's, that's what they said. And uh, I kind of see what they're saying. Because they don't have restraint. You know, like I said, it's different if someone breaks their leg and they can't even move. But uh, there's just something wrong with that. You know? And it's a it's a really bad testimony. Um, you know, think about other men too that come in there that are trying to check out church, the church. Uh, grown men come around, and they see that as as the man that's supposed to be a leader. That's who they look to, and that's what they see as the example. They go, ah. That's not really an example of someone that has temperance, moderation, discipline, these types of things. So that's not a good testimony, right? That's what the Bible says. Almost at the end here, okay? Uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 11 says, And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Okay, so now we're back to talking about how this is what we are commanded to do at all times, right? But especially in the end times. We need to awake out of sleep, not be sleepy, not have our senses dulled, drunk off food, right? We need to be paying attention. It says, awake out of sleep. For now is our, sal uh, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us ca therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, nor in not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Okay? So, again, this is talking about spiritual things. Casting off the works of darkness. And uh, awaking out of sleep. As in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. Right? This is that you're not, not being sober. Not paying attention. And it uses these phrases to get these words together, right? Rioting, drunkenness, chambering, and wantonness. So let's look at those two words first and then uh, we'll comment on that. So chambering is defined as wanton, that's the other word, uh, lewd, immodest behavior. Okay? Chambering is lewd, immodest behavior. And then wanton, right? Because it says not in wantonness. What is wanton? Well, in this context, we got a few definitions here. Wandering from moral rectitude, licentious, dissolute, indulging in sensuality without restraint. That's opposed to temperance and moderation. Wantonness. 
as men grown wanton by prosperity. When you have prosperity, you grow wanton. Your belly's full, lose restraint. Uh, next, more appropriately, deviating from rules of chastity, lewd, lustful, lascivious, and then loose, unrestrained, running to excess. Excess, unrestrained. That's not temperate. That's not uh, being moderate, having moderation. Okay, so wantonness is opposed, and chambering is opposed to temperance. Um, and so the Bible says, Let's, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in chambering and wantonness. And then one other thing before I move on is it says, make not provision for the flesh make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Okay, so um, this is really important. Making provision for the flesh is feeding the flesh, right? Making provision is providing sustenance for the flesh. And that's a big problem. And you have to, because the Bible says to mortify the deeds of the body through the spirit. That the flesh should be crucified. You should be starving the flesh and feeding the spirit walking after the spirit not after the flesh in fact it says abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul so the flesh is warring against you it's at war with you are you at war with your flesh or do you let it control you well if you're at war with the flesh which like the bible says you are you should take steps to fight which includes starving it not feeding it overfeeding right with this unrestrained overeating and all these other types of things, just making your God your belly, feeding it with the bread and the circus and the entertainment and all this other stuff, and you're just making provision for the flesh. And then you wonder why you don't have victory. But to feed the spirit is to read the Bible, is to study it, is to meditate on it, is to pray, is to listen to psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It is to do Spiritual things, that's feeding the Spirit, walking after the Spirit. It is to witness. It is to sacrifice. It's to fast. That restrains the flesh. Don't expect great results when you don't do what the Bible says. And it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. But it is if you pray for God to give you the grace that you need. Okay, so that's that. Need to get to the end here. Yeah, two more passages and we're done. First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. What same mind? Suffering in the flesh. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. You should be striving to cease from sin, get away from sin. Part of that is you're going to have to endure some suffering. Some suffering would include maybe being hungry sometimes. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Okay, if you're living for the lusts of, of men after the appetites of your belly, that's not living according to the will of God. It's opposed to it. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when, okay, in the past when you're lost, what does it say? When you were lost, when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. 
partying it up, indulging without restraint, right? Wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you, who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Okay? So they think it's strange. Who's they? Right? They are the people you used to hang out with, the lost people, the partying. And it says they think it's strange that you don't run with them to the same excess of riot. You're not partying with them anymore. Sorry, I can't, I'm not, I don't do that anymore. I'm not coming to the party. And then it says what? Speaking evil of you. That's a cross you got to bear. You say, sorry, I can't do that anymore. That's not, Jesus Christ has changed me. I live a different life now. They speak evil of you. Ah, you're no fun. You're going to play that game, the Jesus loves me game. Whatever. Get out of here. Goodbye. I'll cut you off. And they'll talk trash about you behind your back. Nothing you can do about that. Except pray for them. And you should. But expect that they will act like that. But the conduct of the lost person is the lusts and the banquetings and the revelings and the overindulgence of every appetite. Everything that's instantly pleasure and dopamine hit, they just do it without restraint. I want this. I'll have this. I want this. I'll have this. Everything they could think of, they just take it. No, no thought, no care in the world. And certainly not caring what God thinks about what they're doing. It's only the flesh, the belly. But the Bible says that you should not be like that. You should cease from all that and do not run to that stuff. Now, we have the last passage we're going to read here. Yeah, this is from uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 35. This is going to be the end of the teaching. I'll wrap it up. Bringing it back to the end times. Jesus warns us to be ready and watching, not to be the glutton who is oblivious to the signs of the times. Verse 35, Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for the Lord. That's what you should be like. You should be waiting for the Lord. When he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, that he may open unto him, that may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. That's what you should be like. You should be ready. Men that are ready, waiting for the Lord, and are watching. Well, he told us what to watch for, right? I read about those signs earlier. We should be watching. And the more things we see, the more we see, wow, Jesus is going to be coming back soon. But we should be watching, not taken unaware because we're drunk off the, the food. Verily I, or every, anything else, right? Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meat and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. No, no, when? First watch, second watch, third watch. And this know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have, where's that word? There's that word again, watched. He would have watched. 
and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also. For the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Be ready and watching. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming. Oh, he's taken too long. I did a, a video about this. And I have a whole series about the pre-trib rapture. I'm not going to get into a big argument about it, so don't try to send me messages arguing about it because it's not going to happen. Go watch the mess, the series, and you either agree with it or you don't. But we're not arguing. But my position's all there, all there in the series. Pre-trib rapture refuted. And the only position that fits this mentality is pre-trib. The only one that's going to say, my Lord delayeth his coming, is someone that believes in pre-trib and that it doesn't happen. And they, they're saying, oh, he's delaying his coming. He's taking longer than I thought he would. Man, things are getting pretty crazy around here. I wonder when Jesus is going to come. He still hasn't pulled you out of it yet, right? And it says, my, they'll say, My Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens and to eat and to drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and at an hour when he is not aware. He will cut him asunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now, go back and look at this. It says, he will say, ah, oh, Jesus is delaying his coming. He shall eat and drink. And then he will, Jesus will return at an hour when he's not aware. So see how that's tied together again. Just the same as we read when we started. That's your heart. Lest your heart be overcharged with surfeiting and that day come upon you unaware. You're not paying attention because your senses are dulled. You're over, you're drunk off that, all that stuff. And it says, and the cares of this world. And you got the bread in the circus and you're not paying attention. Well, you better pay attention. Because there's things happening right now. And I'll warn you right now. A lot more is going to happen. A lot more. It's going to get crazy. And I offer zero hope for you outside of Jesus Christ that's it outside of Jesus Christ there is no hope oh I'm you'll be offered false hopes in the future false lights false Christ you'll be offered peace and safety and these types of things but that's fake and it won't last forever And so, to sum it all up, you got to watch out for this danger of the bread in the circus, but we focused on the bread today, on the fullness of bread, the surfeiting, the gluttony, and how not only is it bad for you health-wise, 
but spiritually, mentally, emotionally, you could say too, right? And it shows that there's a deeper problem of temperance and moderation. You don't have restraint, you don't have control. And temperance is a fruit of the Spirit. God helps you to have that restraint. Lost people don't have restraint. They can create that artificially some ways, for sure, but not in everything. There's still going to be some pleasure that they just dive into, even if they're disciplined in some other areas, right? Like people that say, work hard, play hard. They can be really disciplined and work and stuff, but when they party, watch out. It's crazy. So, we're not supposed to be like that, running the same excessive riot. So, this is a danger. You got to watch out for this. Like I said, don't be... Please don't, one thing, one last thing I want to say before we end. Don't be a food Pharisee, nitpicking things you see people eating or drinking, these types of things. Please don't do that. That is awful. Just consider yourself, okay? That, yeah, it's okay to have some good food or dessert and these type of treats sometimes, but not every day. And not all the time. And it is good. It is okay to be hungry sometimes. And it is good to fast. And most of all, you should not be controlled by your appetites. That should not be what directs you in your life and, and, and influences your decisions. Okay? You should be led by the Spirit of God and bringing your body into subjection to make it do what you want it to do in submission to God. And this ties together with you, your capacity to pay attention to everything that's going on. Because if you don't have temperance in moderation, and instead you have gluttony and surfeiting, you are not going to be seeing everything that you should be seeing. That's it. That's basically it. So... I hope that uh, this is a problem for you, that you repent of it. Pray to God about it for help. Ask Him for uh, grace. And if you if you have this problem because you're, you're lost, maybe you've never been born again, never been saved, I suggest you go back to the video I did called uh, Truth in an Age of Confusion, How to Know the Truth and Be Saved. Go start there. Watch some more vi videos about uh, salvation, true salvation in the gospel. I have a playlist about that. Okay? That's it. Thank you for watching and listening. Please like, share, subscribe. Check all the links below in the description. Please subscribe to the Telegram feed because I got a lot of stuff I post in there that I can't hear and important information. And all the updates will go there extra things there so please subscribe to that and that's it thank you for your support and your prayers god bless you have a good day